Hey, great day. So before we get into today's podcast episode, I have a huge announcement. We are bringing back the Abundant CEO Private Practice Bootcamp. This is a three-day virtual party that I'm inviting all mental health therapists that either want a private practice in the next six to 12 months, or you already have had a private practice, maybe for the last year, five years, or even over a decade, but you want to understand wealth and cash flow in your company. You want to learn how to show up as a CEO and work more on your business versus in your business. Maybe you want to assess the health and the wealth of your current or future private practice to really see if you're on the right path to increasing your revenue, to growing your practice, maybe to streams of income later, or maybe even a group practice. Bottom line is you will walk away from this three-day bootcamp clarifying and understanding your niche, understanding how to show up as an abundant CEO, and most importantly, assessing the health of what you believe is a profitable private practice. So head down to the show notes and go to the link drtk.com forward slash links and sign up for the bootcamp. I'll see you there. Now let's head into the podcast episode. Hey, great day, everybody. So in today's podcast episode, I have something very special for you. Over the next few weeks, I will be um, celebrating my 11th year in private practice starting July of 2023. So what I decided to do is bring back the lessons learned, but I have a twist on it. Last year, I did a whole series on 10 lessons learned going into 10 years of private practice, specifically about private practice. So what I'm going to do is actually go over some of the things that I've learned while on my way to my first million, because I know that therapists want to break past the six-figure mark, the $100,000 mark. Some therapists are opening up a group practice. Some are even going into the digital product space, doing the whole one-to-many, hosting live events. And so I want to make sure to carve out time just to have conversations with entrepreneurs, business owners who want more, who no longer want to play small. And also you don't want to have a 10-year journey as I'm going to talk about in this series. So I'm gonna talk about some things that I wish I would have maybe made a power move on. I'm gonna talk about how long it may have taken me to do certain things and why I chose it at the time. And you'll start to potentially resonate with some places that I've been in terms of investing in myself and what that looked like or did not look like. And most importantly, how you can bet all on you and not worry about the how. So enjoy the series. Hey, my name is Dr. TK. And on this podcast show, we will uncover abundant tools to help you become the CEO of your business and life. I am a mom and wife who took the knowledge as a clinical psychologist working for a government agency and being a professor for over 18 years into building a multi six-figure mental health business and seven-figure digital product business and doing what I love. Now, I believe that you can make a wildly abundant living and become unapologetic while also dreaming big, enjoying life, and making a huge impact in your community. This is the Therapist Deserve Abundance Podcast. All right, so welcome back to the Therapist Deserve Abundance Podcast, everybody. This episode, I know, is going to hit more than therapists. It's going to hit entrepreneurs because I know that I'm not the only one who has given into saying yes to something out of FOMO, out of scarcity, out of a poverty mindset. But sometimes we don't see that we have that mindset while we're actually in the situation, okay? And so again, this is part of my um, series on the road to my first million. And I said my first because there's gonna be plenty more. But I did this series last year 
And it was 10 lessons learned in private practice going into my 10-year celebration in July. So y'all gonna be hearing this a lot earlier. It'll publish on the podcast probably the first week of July because this is number four. So really excited. So I'm just gonna read like my intro and then I'm gonna talk, talk to y'all, right? So the recap in the beginning of this episode is I learned looking back that I was saying yes to my scarcity mindset and going back to that job that I left that I had no business going back to. So for those of y'all who don't know the backstory, I ain't gonna share the whole thing of why I really left the six-figure job. But let's just say when I left, I had already been in my season of having a solo practice. I had already in that season had a full thriving group practice with five clinicians at that time working in the company during veteran assessments and doing groups and doing mental health therapy. And then I was also doing therapy, but I was also the administrator, um, the HR person. Like I wore a lot of hats. That's why I teach all of that in either DTA or the mastermind program, right? Like don't wear all the hats over time, but maybe you need to learn them in the beginning. I realized that I was in a peak season in my life and I'll tell y'all what happened. And I made the decision to go back to this job. So One of the bigger reasons why I even left this job was because, I mean, the pay was good, but looking back, clearly I was overworked and uh, to me underpaid because I'm not looking at how much they were getting paid for the work that we were getting paid and we would get a reimbursement, but I'm just looking at how they treated you, you know, like even the, the, the customer service to the therapists who are going out doing all this epic work, especially for me in the jail, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't it. And so What I end up doing is making the call and leaving the job. Now, my due date to leave happened about six months before I anticipated it. I did have a savings account, but I end up having a panic attack and it didn't start with a panic attack. It started with me locking myself in my office on the third week at this particular site. Cause I, you know, you can uh, move around to different jails. I had went from a camp, which I really love, but I got tired of the drive two hours to two hours from in LA traffic, not ideal, which means that I woke up when it was dark. I got home when it was dark. I work four days, 10 hour shifts. And on those opposite days, your girl was a hustler back then. I was working in teaching facilities like colleges and also learning how to run a private practice. <laughs> so your girl was busy. All gas, no brakes. Not ideal. Not saying do that. And so moving forward, I started recognizing that when I transferred to the juvenile hall, the management is what I didn't like. It's not my supervisor, but like management. So I started to recognize on the third week that definitely something was wrong when I'm sitting in the office and I'm like crying. And I I don't know who to call because my mom don't know how to validate me. You know, all my other friends that they job, maybe that they like or something like that. And I'm like, here I am as an entrepreneur, but I'm at this job and I'm crying. Why am I crying? I'm literally, it's like a, a balloon burst or a volcano erupts. I can't explain it, but I started crying. And so my office was a jail cell. Some of y'all have heard that story. And now, you know, I beautified it in Target. But nevertheless, I love the work that I did with the kids. And I had always told myself if I ever left, which I plan on leaving, but when the day that I leave, I want to be able to give back in the way that I'm doing in the jail. I just want to be able to do it my own way. Like, I don't want y'all to tell me what to do because y'all rules like suck to the point where we would have to request time off. We would have to request to go to CEs that they promised us. And then we would have to choose which CE workshop we were going to do. We would have to work on the holidays because jails don't close, right? So I had kind of had a due date in my mind. 
I made a nine to five exit plan before I even knew what that was. I looked up some videos about how to calculate my expenses and then time to buy taxes and then in- inflate it because they're self-employment taxes. So I did all those things and I realized that even though the job with overtime was paying $130,000, base pay was $99,000. I was at level five, which is the highest level at that job, one through five. You go up the longer you are there, plus licensure. So I was at the max, which means that I just automatically get a raise, but outside of becoming like a program head of a department, like that's it. (laughs) And and maybe uh, stretching me this way to have more responsibility. So over time, being in that certain setting, I started to recognize that I was stressed, but I don't want to acknowledge that I was stressed. And just, you know, if you understand cultural diversity, if you don't about the school you right now, black, brown, Asian, and Indian people, as a folk, right? We tend to somaticize our symptoms, meaning you will swear up and down, you're not stressed, but it's a whole lot going on in your life because you got a, a high tolerance for stress. You'll say you're not stressed, but you're stressed, right? So I started experiencing tension headaches, went to the doctor twice, two months apart from each other. This is all before I had the panic attack. And they said, you're stressed. And I'm like, no, it's not. I love my life. I'm traveling. I'm good. I, you know, I got a nice car, uh, about to, you know, just moved into a house. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm gravy. And they were like, ain't nothing wrong with you. So I was like, huh. Now they knew that I was a psychologist and I'm just wondering why they never made, because when you're in it, you're in it. Right. And I just wish that the doctor would have said like, have you talked to somebody? Even that question probably would have, sorry, would have opened me up to like, think about something else. So They gave me some Motrin, sent me on my way. And I'm like, oh, this is trash. So my tension headaches, I started, I started doing like onset duration and frequency. If you're a therapist, you know what I'm talking about, or if you're a medical provider, what is the onset of the symptom? What is the duration? How long does it last? And what is the frequency? How often it come up? So I started doing it with myself and I started recognizing a pattern. Data tells you everything. And the data was saying, every time I decided to go to work that day, my headache will come. Like as I'm putting on my clothes, my headache will come. When I get in the car, it's getting stronger and stronger. Then over a few weeks, it led into having to pull over on the way to the juvenile hall, TMI, vomit. I ain't pregnant. I I, I tested everything. Ain't nothing happening. So I'm like, why am I having these symptoms? Went back to the doctor. They said, are you stressed? And I said, I don't like my job, but I'm good. (laughs) And they were like, well, maybe you are stressed, but again, never triggered to like, like now, like, Hey, maybe you should go talk to somebody. So went back to the job. So two months, tension headaches, vomiting, probably once a week on my way to work. What I would do to maintain myself or contain myself is lock myself in an office, do my work, see my kids, talk to probation, talk to the kids. I didn't talk to mental health providers like that because they were also stressed out and I didn't want their negative energy to make me feel worse. So I say to myself, all right, and that's sometimes what you have to do as your coping mechanism if you're in a toxic environment. So that's how I was able to survive. However, one day I wake up on a Saturday out of nowhere Four o'clock in the morning, I'm supposed to go in at eight o'clock on call. You would have thought that somebody passed away in my family. (laughs) Like that's really close because the way I was crying, my husband now, but back then it was my fiance. He couldn't even, he he thought I got a bad phone call. Four o'clock in the morning. It's almost like I had a bad dream, sat up really quickly, didn't want to wake him up, ran downstairs because it's almost like you can feel the volcano erupting. And then I just start crying. I guess he heard me. He came down. And this is how desperate I was. I called Kaiser. 
they didn't have nothing available. I'm like, go figure. <laughs> then I, um, and they did a little intake, asked me all these like 5150 questions. I'm like, I ain't none of that. I, I just know now I clearly am stressed at my job. I can acknowledge that now, you know? So they were like, we can get you into a group, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, let's schedule the intake. But in the meantime, let me call my EAP. So I called my EAP. It's a Saturday. Ain't nobody answering. Ain't nobody calling me back. I'm like, oh my God. So I end up getting a fast appointment with Kaiser. I think I went like Wednesday or something. Now, crazy thing, working out, doing some crazy moves, sprained my ankle. So while I'm there and I have the sprained ankle, I actually asked for a more updated appointment. Like I'm about to be off work anyway. Go ahead and squeeze me in. So that's how I got hit so fast. So when I was at, you know, the doctor, they did the whole intake or whatnot. They diagnosed me with panic attack. It only happened twice in my life at that time. It happened like three times in total though. Um, but definitely like adjustment disorder with anxiety, <laughs> um, with a little bit depressed mood. I had mixed, you know, just being fully transparent. I don't think I ever disclosed that on the podcast episode. And so the therapist knew where I had worked. He used to work there and he said, I probably would have had a panic attack too. We actually left when the person who you're saying is causing the toxicity, a lot of us left when that person came. And I'm like, word, y'all should have had a memo, <laughs> you know? And so um, he understood it and he said, I can take you off work for a week at max. I said, can I get longer? I'm going to ask. And he said, not unless you go to psychiatry. And I'm like, well, no, I think I'll be pretty good with talk therapy. I'll just go to the group therapy session. And he said, once you go to group therapy, you can also call this number and get a one-on-one therapist. So I did all the things related to mental health. Went to the group. It was great. Gave me some mindset tools and all that stuff. Fast forward. Three days later, it was time for me to go back to work. I said, hell to the no. <laughs> like, if this is how I'm feeling, sitting up, elevating my foot on a sprained ankle, and I ain't had no panic attacks no vomiting, no tension headaches. And I've been chilling at my house on my bed and on my couch and just like talking to the clinicians in my private practice saying, y'all got it. You need to hop on zoom. I can drive to the office with a sprained ankle, but I just can't do much. You know what I'm saying? They were like, no, we good. Cause I had another clinical supervisor. <laughs> and so, um, I said, damn, I can like really run my business from home. Now think about this, where we at now, right? This is crazy how all these things were happening in a synchronous way. Um, and this was in 2000, I left in 2015. Now, please note, I was also planning this big extravagant Hollywood wedding, still had to pay for 85% of the wedding, didn't know where that money was going to come from. Don't worry about the how. So now let me take you to the point where there was a transition and I was focusing more on what I don't have and creating anxiety about something that did not happen ever. <laughs> As a matter of fact, yet, I'm going to say yet. And I created a narrative in my mind to do something that I should have never done. So what ended up happening is while I was getting married, I'm, I'm in a blended family. My husband had had a son or has a son and he's five years old at the time of us getting married. I met him at like four and four, four, yeah, four. And so he's five going on six at this time. And I just started to like look into the future being the visionary that I am. And I'm like, oh my God, when we have a child, will I have enough money? You know, we got a mortgage, which is fine. We got car notes, we gravy. But when I look at just clearly how much it costs to care for a child, plus my lifestyle, I'm like, I don't know if this is enough. Cause you know, this is cool what I got with me being able to stack up money for myself. This doesn't count a baby, right? And babies can be a little expensive if we got to do daycare and stuff. So I'm thinking about all the things and I ain't have a child for like <laughs> three years, right? So 
that got me into a state of anxiety that led me because what I was getting to with the being at home earlier is that on the seventh day, the hell to the gnaw, I end up emailing and faxing the office saying I ain't coming back. There was no two week notice. Y'all got this two week notice when I was sitting here having tension headaches every single day and telling my supervisor that I think something is happening with my mental health. And he was like, take care of yourself. X, Y, and Z <laughs> even told me the CE workshop I need to go to is uh, stress and burnout. And the fact that my supervisor told me to go to that one, I'm like, you stress too, you know? So what ended up happening? I left the county job, had my wedding. Life was lifing. Private practice was popping. Group practice was fire. Teaching at three schools, having ideas, learning how to launch digital products, like all the things that I could ever dream of was happening. And then all of a sudden I allowed this narrative to take over and dictate my next move. Let me know if that sounds familiar to you. Hey y'all, it's that time again. It is scale season. So I want to call out all of the therapists, healers, and service providers across the country. I am hosting our end of the year two-day in-person conference this fall, October 2023 in Las Vegas. So we are talking about all things scalability, things like launching a new or existing product or service line, collaborating with other providers across the country to increase your reach. We will also be covering how to create your content that aligns with your launch throughout the entire year of 2024. We will also provide you with a seven streams of income map so that you can develop your business over time with growth and scalability. And did I mention that this is the only event that we are having for the fourth quarter in person. So we will be discussing all things for 2024 business planning, growth and scalability, wealth management, and so much more. So if you want to attend, go ahead and grab your seat before the time is up. Head down to the show notes or go to our website, drtk.com forward slash links and grab your ticket to the Therapist Deserve Abundance Conference. All right, y'all, it's scale season. Let's get back to today's podcast episode. And so I decided to do my homework and see how do I go back to the county because I don't want to go back to a mundane job, but I will prefer to do part-time. But if I go to the right program, I can low-key have flexibility with my schedule. So I knew which program to go back into. When I came in, they told me that I will more than likely be at stage two. If I can raise some red flags right now in this podcast, okay? Never sign up for something until you get the final paperwork. So they said, go ahead and sign this agreement that you're going to come in on level two, but you can still talk to the supervisor, which I had and talk to the department. And they said, more than likely, we're going to be able to move you back because you only been gone less than six months. Um, No, I was going a little over six months, but that was actually the problem. Over six months, they have to take you to the level as though you're a new person, but licensed, which was level two. When I left, I had had that five year stint or four and a half year of experience. So it was four and a half. Right. And so what ended up happening? So I ended up signing on the dotted line. I went back and I knew something was wrong when they put me in a cubicle downtown L.A. in the program that I wanted to be in. But I love to go out to the camps. I don't care how far the drive is. I don't like driving to work, like just in traffic. But I like driving the kids home, schools. I just like to interact and be out in the community because I feel like I'm making like a different level of impact, which is why I do what I do now, even with like nonprofits and stuff or church or whatnot. So what I end up doing is going back, 
signing up for it, being placed in a cubicle and nobody was watching me. Now, not to say that I want micromanagement, but the fact that nobody checked on me all day, I ain't even saying for clocking and clock out, but ask me, do I need help? My paperwork was lost. All of these things were happening to show me I should have never came back. Right. So one day I decided to leave. And I knew something was also wrong because I never decorated my space. Now, if you see my office, I I was decorating my, the jail cell like this. It was blue, though, for boys, you know. But my office had like my cubicle had the first go round had like vision boards everywhere. When I was in the process of buying a home, I had vision boards. And I also like to pick things that would inspire these kids or adults that I was working with to like dream bigger outside of having a conviction, you know, or expunge a record if you're a child. And so... I didn't decorate any of that. I didn't bring nothing to the job. So one day I just decided, let's bet on me. You got a group practice. Your group practice is making well over six figures. You making six figures just with what you combing in through all these streams of income. Why are you sitting here? Why are you scared? Am I talking to you right now? You know what I'm saying? Like, why are you scared? And so I'm like, you right. And so what I end up doing is I cleaned up the little folder that I had. I got in my car, I drove around the corner to HR because we're in a different building. It's LA County Department of Mental Health. So they have like different sites. So I drove around to HR. I had had some conversations with people in between and giving me false promises about giving me the money that I deserve, giving me a $20,000 pay cut. Just put some numbers on it, right? So I'm like, I'm tired of it. And somebody even told me with the paper trail that they were able to find, there was no reason why I was still at the rate that I was at. And I said, well, hell, it's been three weeks. So if y'all keep giving me false promises, like at some point, I'm not going to believe you. And I told the guy that, and he was like, I don't blame you. <laughs> he told me to close the door. Like, I don't blame you, but you didn't hear this from me kind of thing. So I went downtown and I requested to speak to the lady who had been ignoring my phone calls for the whole two to three weeks. She ain't in the office. I leave four to five voicemails. I'm hella thorough with my voicemails, sending emails, no response, which made me go talk to the gentleman. And he was like, you should just go around there. But literally he knew I was going around there with this badge to give them their damn badge back. So in the um, hallway, she meets me and I'm like, oh, you here? You know, and I'm smiling. I'm like cordial. And she was like, you know, what's the concern? And I said, oh, here's my badge. And she was like, your badge, are you, are you quitting? I said, yes. And she said, oh, when do you want to be your last day? I said, today, right now. And at that point, my whole mood changed. And so she was like, oh, let's, you know, discuss. And I said, you want to have this conversation out in the lobby in public? And that already told me her level of integrity was trash. (laughs) So I said, I'm not going to talk about finances in a lobby, right? So um, we end up going back to like a conference room. I end up explaining to her everything that I did, every voicemail that I left, every email that I sent. And I said, I did not once hear from you when the office was saying that you were back from vacation. And I even talked to other people in admin and they told me that you're the only one that I can technically talk to. So then she puts the blame on me, which as a business owner, I'm gonna take 50% responsibility. I should have never taken a job knowing that it was not guaranteed that I would get the amount of money. And she said, well, you did sign saying that, you know, there, there wasn't a 100% guarantee that you would get that money. I said, but that's not what y'all told me when you, when you hired me, but you right. So that's why today is my last day. And she said, are you serious? I said, I wanted to say dead ass, you know, but my face said it. And I said, yes, here's my badge. And she was like, do you want to talk to your supervisor? Nah, I emailed them in a car. I ain't even told them yet. Hell, they ain't checked on me anyway. You know what I'm saying? They left me in a cubicle for three weeks. And, And just to let you know, also how, you know, that things are conspiring for you in this universe they lost my paperwork. Therefore, I couldn't even get on a computer. I couldn't even get on a computer to log into the internet, you know? So why am I sharing this with you? 
I solely made the decision to go back to my job because I had had personal development at that time, but I wasn't willing to go all in and bet on myself. I'm also sharing this with you is every single moment that you wait to up-level your mindset, your finances, your spirituality, your health, your relationships, whatever component of your life that you're working in or on, the longer you wait to pull the trigger and say yes and not focus on the how and not allow your anxiety, limiting belief, thoughts of stuff that ain't happened, you ain't got no proof that it's gonna happen, it has never happened in your history, if you allow that narrative to overcome you, you're going to continue to be at the place or level in your business, your mindset, and in your bank account that you are in right now. And that's the whole gist of this series is like, it has not been a long journey. And even though I may hyper-focus on this 11 lessons that I've learned on my way to my first million, I'm giving you examples of things that came well before I built my coaching business. Everything that you've been exposed to your whole life is embedded in your brain unless you learn how to get rid of it and and replace it with more abundant thinking, you know, and things. And so I had to learn after I left that I will never allow this experience to happen again because I don't like the way that I feel about myself. I'm no longer going to blame like, oh, the job, the job, the job, the job did what the job do, right? I loved what I do. At my job. And I always like to make that clear because some people assume, oh, you don't like your job. No, no, no. I liked my job, my role with serving the um, re-entry population coming out of the juvenile facilities. And I loved working honestly in the camps and in the halls. I loved those population. I still love serving that population. But what I will not settle for is working under somebody who doesn't appreciate how we show up in the jail, get out there dressing casual, try to do what we do. And then you're not even willing to go to bat for me because you know my value. But then you ask me why I'm leaving trash, get up out of here. (laughs) So I've learned over time, time and time again, because I wanted my last time, but I'm not going to go into that on this episode. But that was like one of my biggest lessons because I did not trust myself. And I allowed all these negative thoughts to enter into my abundance zone and pretty much take over and dictate what was about to happen. And so that 43 days, who knows what would have happened in my group practice if I would have just stayed there for those extra 43 days. I continue to run my group practice clearly. But again, I just want to leave you with this. Take action. Okay. Learn how to say yes to you. Um, learn how to say no to like limiting thoughts. So like a therapy technique that I used to teach my transitional age youth, like 16 to 25, a lot of them had anxiety and I had to just talk straight up with them, but not use too much mental health language. Right. So I would ask the kids, do you know what a lease is? And they like, like a house. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like you lease an apartment, you know? And I was like, yeah. I said, what happens when a lease is up? They like, oh, I got to go or I got to renew. I'm like, okay. So the lease you're, you're taking up room or space like in that time. Right. So I said, what I want you to do. And I remember telling it to this little boy and he he was like 17. But I remember like after our treatment or when he would like leave and come back, he'll be like, I always remember what you told me. He was having issues at his job at fast food where he was doing his job, but other people were toxic. They were trying to pull him into the toxicity conversations because he didn't want to get into those conversations with them. They start talking about him, you know, that kind of little petty stuff. So I said, this is what we're going to do. Every time you're about to go to work, 
I need you to tell yourself the following. I will not allow your negative vibe, energy, or statements, or however you want to say it, entertain and leave space in my brain. Because what's happening is they're changing your brain chemistry, son. (laughs) You know, what's happening is these people are pushing you into more anxiety. More anxiety for certain people's mental health can push them over the edge. And for that particular client, he had already had some serious things happen two years prior in which he had a drastic like change because he was adhering to his treatment and his psychiatry and all those things. Right. So I'm like, Oh no, like I'm kind of like a surrogate parent sometimes. Like we didn't do all this work for us to go backward. Like absolutely not. Cause that, that two year stint, I worked on for a long time. That little two year stint that we, me, you, you and your family and psychiatry had to do to like get you back up to par. We ain't about to let no uh, fast food restaurant employee taint this journey. You know what I'm saying? And that's how I feel. Not talking down about my counterparts, but I'm not about to let no disgruntled employee mess up my vibe at a job so that I can go and take it out on my employees at my group practice. Hell no, I got to go. Because if I feel like your energy is even coming in my car, like you you got too close. (laughs) So I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Let me just do the shout out. If you are listening on the podcast later, make sure that you subscribe or follow the podcast and get into the DMs. Tell me what was your biggest takeaway. If you are watching this on YouTube, drop in the comment box, make sure you subscribe and leave me your biggest takeaway. If you ain't following me on YouTube, you know what I'm saying? Go to Dr. TK and follow me over there. And that's it. All right. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Listen, I am over here dancing. You just finished another epic episode of the Therapist Deserve Abundance podcast. Now, I know that flew by way too fast. So if you want more, please head over to our resource page at drtk.com forward slash links for additional abundant resources. Until the next episode, live intentionally abundant.